welcome. This is Chris Griffin, and you're tuned in to the Mindfulness, Music, and Mental Health Podcast. Welcome to the second episode of the Mindfulness, Music, and Mental Health Podcast. I'm here today with Deborah Burdick, aka The Brain Lady. Hi, Chris. It's great to be here. Thanks. I'm really excited to have you on today, um, not only professionally for my podcast, because I think it's a great thing for my podcast, but personally and professionally, I'm a big fan of yours. I've been using your workbooks for a long time in my practice, even back to my clinic days, and I found them extremely helpful. So for me to have you on my podcast today, um, I'm very grateful for that. Um, so again, thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me, and thank you for sharing that you're using the skills because that's what I'm doing this for. And it always makes me very grateful to hear that people are using them and benefiting from them. I have to say too, that it's one of my, it it is my go-to. It really is. Um, Your workbook, your mindfulness skills workbook is, is my go-to. I have both the, um, the adult and the, the kid version. And it really is things that I can just use every session, every day, to help my clients and also to help myself too. I was a mindfulness practitioner. Uh, a lot of the things that uh, you're uh, talking about in those workbooks help me as well. So they're usually, well, I mean, from your book anyway, I can't say this across the border universally, but in your books anyway, in the way that you explain it, I've also seen you speak live um, and you make it simple. You make it approachable. You make it so that mindfulness isn't, complicated, although I think a lot of people feel like, oh, maybe that's beyond me, or I can't do that, or I'm not mindful. The way that you break it down makes it so that most people, I would say anybody almost, I don't want to go too far, but just about anybody can benefit from these exercises. Well, that's great feedback, and that's true because I've used them in my sessions for 25 to 30 years, and my clients taught me what works and what doesn't. So a lot of people listening to this podcast, they may may know what mindfulness is. Some of them may not. Some of them may have some experience with mindfulness, but not a whole lot, and are tuning in to hear more about mindfulness. So I'm going to turn right now to you, Deb, as an expert, um, international expert on mindfulness, to ask you what you would say mindfulness is. Well, there are lots of definitions out there, and I really like John Kabat-Zinn's definition, which is mindfulness is paying attention to something in a particular way, on purpose, non-judgmentally. And basically, if you break that down, it's paying attention to something. That's the basic core, uh, and you're doing it in in a particular way. You might be paying attention by looking at something, by listening to something, by thinking about something, by uh, touching something, or you can use all of your senses in mindfulness. And you're doing it um, deliberately because you've set your intention to pay attention to it, and you are doing it non-judgmentally. You're not in the mode of critiquing it or saying, gee, it's too hot or too cold, or gee, those thoughts are awful. You're just letting the thoughts be and noticing what they are when you're doing a mindfulness of thoughts. And I simplify it a little bit to basically say mindfulness is paying attention to what you're thinking, feeling, or doing while you're thinking, feeling, or doing it. And it and it doesn't matter what you're doing. You can be mindful no matter what you're doing. The mindfulness skills will really teach you to be present whether you are uh, 
walking or doing a task or listening to something or smelling something. I mean, the, the process is to be in the present moment, no matter what it is that you're doing. Right. I love that. And I'm a huge uh, John Kabat-Zinn fan as well. I use his definition as well. I think a lot of really great points in there about connecting to the senses is a big part of mindfulness um, and also the not being judgmental about it um, is also a really important point that we're, we're observing what's going on with us from moment to moment. And like you said, you can be aware of, you can pay attention to just about anything and then adding on a layer of not being judgmental about it allows us to just stand back and be an observer for a little while. I like to say that to a lot of my clients is let's be observers and not participants in this thing every once in a while. And I like to say, you know, especially when I work with kids or teenagers, um, that the difference between playing a game of football or watching the game or being in a play or watching the play or watching a movie or something, you're stepping back a little bit. And the non-judgmental piece, I mean, I will just say this, is not easy. No, (laughs) no. (laughs) We tend to... Uh, be judgmental and, you know, our little um, critical mind is going all the time. I mean, it's designed to keep us safe and alive and out of danger and so forth. So that is a totally new concept for many people to be able to turn that off or turn it down a little bit. Right. I think we can't lose sight, right, of the fact that we need to be judgmental about certain things. But when I think people open up and look at how often they are judging things, they're blown away by every little teeny tiny judgment that they make of every teeny tiny little thing. And it's not helpful. That's so true. So when we think about mindfulness, right? So we've kind of just given a nice definition of it, broken it down a little bit. Um, What should we think about when we're using mindfulness to help people with mental health uh, concerns? Well, I've been using mindfulness in my private practice and also in an intensive outpatient program with uh, chronically mentally ill patients. I mean, all ages I've worked with. And what I have discovered over the years is it wasn't really taught to me to be used as a mental health intervention um, is that these skills are helpful to pretty much everybody because they can help the client gain some control and start to have a better ability to self-regulate their uh, arousal state and their awareness and their busy mind. So, you know, no no matter what their uh, mental health issues might be or what their diagnosis might be, whether it's depression or anxiety or attention deficit disorder uh, or bipolar disorder, and we could go through all of them, um, there are skills that really help them gain self-control and calm down um, their busy, you know, anxiety or their rumination or whatever is going on for their particular in their particular case. Actually, this is a, a question that that came up in a in a session the other day. But give me your your thoughts on the difference between mindfulness and, like you said, just you know, getting a better thought and positive psychology or the idea of 
you know, saying the opposite. So instead of waking up and saying, oh, today's going to be horrible, waking up and saying, today's going to be a great day, where would mindfulness fall in that sort of idea there? Well, when I know when I was writing my book and when I was putting my workshops together, you know, I have a background in cognitive behavioral therapy. So a lot of these skills um, line right up with cognitive behavioral therapy. And it, mindfulness helps you start to be more mindful of what the thoughts are first. There's two tracks here. One is to just be aware of the thoughts that are being generated in your mind. You know, especially if you have anxiety, every thought's an anxious thought. You're worried about this. What if this happens? You're predicting the worst. Blah, 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 blah. This, this constant steady flow of anxious thoughts. So to be just be aware of them and observe them and not engage with them. Don't start to uh, get, get involved with that thought and go to the next thought, to the next thought, to the next thought, to just step back and let them flow by and just notice them as an observer, as we mentioned before. The second piece of mindfulness of thoughts is to actually then, once you start to notice what the themes of the thoughts are or what the content of your thoughts are, is to be able to use some skills to change the thought. You know, once you've observed it and accepted it, uh, acknowledged it, let it go, okay, that's one process. The next process is, okay, if I have all these anxious thoughts all the time and I don't want them because they don't feel good, then what uh, skills would help me to find thoughts that feel better? And the mindfulness skills in my book, there are a number of them in there that help with, um, I'll just use anxiety as an example, but to help you get present to help you um, uh, notice, be aware of your emotions, to be able to tolerate distress when you're anxious. I mean, that's a nice skill to be able to tolerate it instead of doing some damage to yourself, whatever. To change the channel on the anxiety. That's what, I think that's one of my favorite skills. Maybe we'll have time to talk about the specifics of that one uh, before we're done today. Um, but lots of ways to calm down your arousal state and bring your attention to the present moment. It turns out anxiety, uh, the two things I like to, to share about anxiety is typically somebody that's anxious is kind of turned up too high. They're over aroused. They're, they're not calm. Okay, They're not slowed way down. They're sped way up. And the second thing is that their thoughts tend to be future-oriented. Now, the thought may be coming from something that happened in the past or something, maybe a tra trauma from the past, whatever, but it's not thinking about what's going on right this moment so much as what if this happens? What if I'm not good at this? What happens if I go tomorrow? What if nobody likes me when I get there? I mean, you can just, what if my boss doesn't like my, my project? Whatever it is. What if I'm late? What if I can't get it done? It's future-oriented. You can't, um, you know, if you spend your whole time in the future, you miss the present and you need to get yourself present so that you can prepare for the future. Right. One of the things I notice when I use these skills with my anxious clients is when they start to get them, they start to have a little fun with it and they'll be, you know, I was at work and I was talking to my boss um, and she said something and I went back to my cubicle and all of a sudden I'm thinking, well, what did she mean by that? And did she mean that next week that I might not have a job? And then they catch themselves. And then they can chuckle about it, right? All of a sudden, this different perspective that they've taken on their busy mind 
has allowed them to take a different perspective and kind of chocolate themselves and, and have a sense of humor about the ruminative or the future-oriented anxious thoughts. Which is, you know, giving them a sense of control and it gives them a, a way to um, change the, the present so that they're not in that anxious mode all the time. Right. Yeah, it's very stressful to be anxious all the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's not good for you, right? Um, just quickly, you, you said, oh, maybe I'll use anxiety as an example. Yeah, I, I think that's a decent example. I read in the New York Times a while back, there was an article, and I can't remember if it was the title or if it was in the article, but somebody had written, we've gone from Prozac Nation to the United States of Xanax, right? We've gone mm-hmm. from a very depressed, um, oriented fixation of, you know, doom and gloom to this other orientation of, I cannot tolerate the uncertain and I cannot stand what is around the corner that I don't know about. And it's so true. I mean, you know, it starts off young, you know, the kids have so many pressures on them to perform and to succeed and to to do X, Y, Z, um, extracurricular activities after school and to learn a, a, an instrument to play music and, and to be on different teams and so forth. Um, and then it just goes on and on into, into adolescence when we've got all of the normal tasks of adolescence, but now we have lots of social media pressures. We have this pressure to... Um, measure up and be good, uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of um, discussion about, uh, for example, Facebook posts, you know, if you read all of these things, you think everybody's perfect in right. the world when, you know, that isn't true, but, but that's what people are sharing. So you think something's wrong with you if your life isn't quite that good. Right. And, everybody's and, kids, everybody else's kids are perfectly behaved and mine are throwing things at me and cursing at me. And and okay. let me note that I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old. So the throwing may be normal, but the cursing, not so much. And, the, and there's been a lot of anxiety about the, um, uh, just the, the country and the pol- political uh, environment and lately the weather and the storms. I mean, we've had a lot on our plate. We have. <laughs> as, a, as a society and, we we're not immune to that. You can't really turn it off unless, you know, you go out into the woods or in the mountains or, you know, but then even then you're, you, as our friend John Cabazin has said, everywhere you go, there you are, right? You know, you can't, (laughs) you can't, it's, it's, you're never going to escape yourself. So why not become better friends with yourself and better friends with that voice in your head? And I think, what you offer through your, your writing and your workshops and your, um, your cards, these are ways that we can become better friends with ourselves and stop you know, running around in our minds so much and, and not really loving ourselves. Absolutely. And I think that sometimes when, you know, and I, I'm not in private practice anymore. I retired from that a, a couple of years ago to focus on writing and teaching, but um, so often, you know, you start to introduce mindfulness to a client and they are put off because they think of um, sitting, you know, in a medi- in a sitting, formal sitting meditation for 30 minutes without thinking any thoughts or moving. And 
we have to sort of debunk that uh, image of mindfulness. I think meditation is one of the mindfulness skills, but there are literally hundreds, probably thousands of other mindfulness skills that are very accessible, even to the most anxious client or to the client that can't sit still and so forth and so on. And while we, when we start with a very brief period of time to practice a mindfulness skill to bring their attention to the present. And if they can do it for 30 seconds, they're starting to train their brain to be able to do it. And, and, and then they can, you know, maybe add 10 seconds to that next time and the next time and, and the, their brain will be able to do it, um, you know, with practice. Right. So teaching, uh, you know, somebody, uh, I'll give an example from one of my clients. I, I always ask my clients, what do they do? What is something that they do every day? And this woman in particular said she washed the dishes. And I said, okay, so, and she was very anxious. Just this constant, constant, steady stream of anxious thought. Exhausting to hear about them, you know. Whew. And uh, I said, okay, when you wash the dishes this week, how about if when you start to wash the dishes, do a mindfulness of, of surrounding um, exercise, which is a present moment, um, awareness exercise and just pay attention, set your intention to pay attention to everything there is to notice about washing the dishes. So notice how the water feels on your hands. Is it warm? Is it cold? Notice how the uh, dishwashing detergent smells. Is there a fragrance? Notice how the bubbles look. Notice the sound of the water as it's running in the sink. Notice the, how the dishes feel when they're you know still dirty and got um, sticky stuff or greasy stuff on them and how they feel differently as they get clean and get squeaky and, uh, you know, just all of the senses. You can hear it. You can, you're not going to taste the, di- the, the dishes or the water, but pretty much all the other... You never know. You never know. Um, to just get yourself totally present in that moment instead of washing the dishes. Why are you washing the dishes? Worrying about everything there is to worry about that you always worry about. Now, stop that process and every time you notice that you are not thinking about washing the dishes, just bring yourself back to washing the dishes. Don't beat yourself up that your mind wandered, because it will. If you're alive, you know, with 60,000 thoughts a day, your mind is going to wander. But just to accept that that's normal and then say, okay, oh, I've been distracted. All right, I got to think about washing the dishes again. And just see how long you can actually pay attention to washing the dishes while you're washing the dishes. Or to eating while you're eating or walking while you're going for a walk or whatever it is that you are actually doing in the present moment or talking to your child while they're in front of you. Or here's one, I think it's really important for us as therapists to be totally mindful with our client who's sitting in front of us. Right. Listening, right. Listening fully. Instead of worrying about whether your next client's going to cancel and what if it snows today and what if you can't have time to call that other person back and what if the insurance company doesn't pay this client, you know, I mean, we all have those <laughs> thoughts, but our clients are paying us good money to be totally present and that's our gift to them. I think that's the biggest part of healing is for them to know that we are 100% paying attention to them, non-judgmentally. I totally agree. I totally agree. I actually say that to my clients. I say I practice one of the main reasons I practice mindfulness amongst many others is so that I can be here with you in this room a hundred 
percent. No matter what you're telling me, no matter what kind of day I had, no matter what my son called me on the way out the door, again, five years old, and, you know, <laughs> not bring that with me into the session. And it's so helpful for that. And the actually my go-to, I love washing the dishes. I love walking. I love all those as mindfulness activities. My go-to though is the shower. Um, and, and again, John Cabot's in, right? He said, you know, I would find myself in the shower and there's 10 other people in there with me, right? Now he didn't literally mean that there were 10 other people in the shower with him, but he would say, I was at my morning meeting already and it was going a certain way. And somebody was saying something to me and I was disagreeing with them. And then I realized, Hey, I'm in the shower, right? Come back. I think that's the phrase that we can use over and over again, come back, you're in the shower. This could be the best 10 minutes of your day and you're off somewhere in a meeting that you're going to have again, Ugh, right? Twice you're going to have this meeting. Absolutely. And I find the shower is, I, I often do mindfulness in the shower because I, it's such a sensory um, uh, experience and I can look at the water as it's coming out of the shower head and all the little droplets and how those light is reflecting on them and I can feel the temperature of it on my body and I can hear it and I can smell my shampoo and on and on and just be 100% in that shower. And it's, it's not only calming, but it's, um, it's energizing because you've given your brain a rest. Right. Instead of thinking about all those things that you got to do today, how about just if I just could spend this time in the shower while I'm in the shower. Yeah. And I mean, and most people would say, like, if you ask them, do you enjoy taking a shower? And, you know, I think a lot of people would say yes. And then you would say, so what makes you enjoy the shower? And then they wouldn't know, right? They would just have this concept in their brain that like either they think they like showers or they should like showers. But it's like, hey, why don't you actually go be very mindful of a shower and then maybe you can say why you enjoy the shower or who knows, maybe you hate the shower and you don't even know it because you're off somewhere else the whole time, right? The process we're talking about is being mindful about paying attention to every little piece that you can pay attention to, whatever the task is. If you're walking, pay attention to how your feet feel when you put your weight on them, how the uh, pavement or the path or whatever it is you're walking on feel. How do your shoes feel? How do your legs feel? How do your arms feel? How does the air feel? What does it smell like out here today? What is the, what's the weather like? What's the sky? What's around you? Just to really be pleasant with everything there is about whatever you choose to pay attention to. Yeah, and those those tools are are all around you and and with you your breath is with you your senses are with you your ability to look around is always with you so um you can't really say well i don't have what i need with me you you always have it right mm-hmm. absolutely it's free <laughs> and it doesn't and it doesn't uh it doesn't weigh much to carry it around you true know? <laughs> true true it's not it's not uh it's not heavy <laughs> so um, let's give our listeners here a little taste, um, right? One of the things about mindfulness that I'm always preaching is that it's experiential, right? That, that you have to experience it really to get into it. So you, in your books, offer lots of different skills. Um, when I saw your workshop, you actually went through every skill that you, ta- almost every skill that you talked about 
in that workshop. You went through with us and had us do it so that we could do it with our clients when we got back to the office. Um, tell us what a few of those skills are. And then if you wouldn't mind guiding myself and the audience through one, um, I would really love that. Okay. Let's, um, I mentioned the change the channel skill earlier. So let me just talk about that one. And then we'll do a, one of the others. I think that change the channel is a little bit hard to, it's not really so much leading. It is a skill. Um, changing the channel is just to help your clients be become mindful of what channel they're watching in their mind. So you're just using that me- that me- metaphor of the channel. Um, and I'm going to give you an example from my practice where I used this. It was I was working with a seven-year-old girl who had such intense generalized anxiety that they were about to remove her from the classroom because she just could not survive in there. And then, of course, the kids discovered that she had this anxiety and they were bullying her and picking on her and whatever. So um, she was aware that she had this anxiety. So that was the first step. She had, you have to, the client has to know that it's happening to them. And she was, and I taught her a relaxation breath first. Then I said to her, gee, sounds to me like you're watching your worry channel all day. And she said, Oh yeah, Miss Deb, I watch my worry channel all the time. And I said, well, if you could, what channel would you rather watch? And she said, I'd rather watch my happy channel. And I said, what would you put on, on your happy channel? She said, well, I like to dance. So I think I would put dancing on my happy channel. And I just suggested that during the next week, that every time she noticed that she was watching her worry channel, that she would reach in her pocket and pull out her imaginary remote control and change the channel to her happy channel and watch dance. And she did this. And I... I always say this, but I get choked up when I tell the story because within two weeks, her anxiety was gone. She had rewired her brain. Instead of going down the anxiety pathway, neuronal pathway in her brain and reinforcing that and making it stronger and stronger and stronger, every time she noticed that she was feeling anxious and watching her anxiety channel, she would change the channel to her happy channel and go down a different path. And it rewired the brain. So it can be very, very helpful. There are studies that show that practicing mindfulness for relatively short periods of time, even uh, 27 minutes a day for eight weeks, something like that, and even some of them shorter, can change the structure of the brain, the density of the gray matter, the electrical activity, and the blood flow in the brain. And to me, that's exciting. (laughs) It's not about sitting cross-legged on the floor, burning incense and saying "Om," which it can be, right? I'm not dissing on that because I actually do that, but um, it's not just that. You are fundamentally changing the structure of your brain and sending signals to the right places and and making sure they're not going to the wrong places. So the basic thing that I think helps folks with anxiety is a relaxation breath to just Start by being able to uh, mindfully and deliberately breathe in through their nose to the count of four. If their nose is stuffy, it's okay to breathe through their mouth. It doesn't have to be their nose. But if it can be, breathe in through the nose to the count of four. And then exhale through your mouth as slowly as possible. So if you breathe in to the count of four, you breathe out through your mouth to the count of eight. And when you do that, you have activated the parasympathetic nervous system twice as long as the sympathetic nervous system, which is very calming. So then you can go to the next step, 
and be able to use that relaxation breath. I mean, just teach them that. That's, I kind of start there with clients when I look back over my practice over over the years to say, well, what's the, <laughs> the thing that I start with? And that typically is where I start. Now we hold our breath, we, we're shallow breathing, we're doing all kinds of things. And the next, now let me just do a, a, a minute or two of awareness of breath, um, which is based on doing this relaxation breath. So go ahead, let's just do it together. Sure. Just bring your attention to your breath and just sit comfortably and notice your breathing. And start by taking a deliberate relaxation breath into your nose to the count of four. One, two, three, four. Now exhale through your mouth, first your lips, like you're kind of blowing a bubble uh, to the count of eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Do it again. You count your own, so you can do this at your own pace, but go relatively slowly. Inhale through your nose. Inhale peace and relaxation. And as you exhale, just let everything go that needs to go. And then just breathe normally and bring your attention to the feeling of your breath as it comes into your body. Just notice it as it comes into your nose, into your nasal passageways. Notice how it feels as it goes down your throat and fills your lungs. And then just pay attention to it when you exhale. Notice how it feels as it comes back up, out through your, the back of your throat, out through your mouth, across your lips, teeth, and on out of you. Do it again. Just notice the, the temperature of the air as it comes in. Notice how far down it goes. You can't really feel it anymore. Fill your lungs from the bottom all the way up to the top. And then just simply breathe out from the top, emptying your lungs right down to the bottom. Notice how the air feels as it comes back up through your mouth, across your tongue, out through your lips. Now just you just spend a moment in silence, just paying attention to everything that you can possibly notice about your breath. I'll be quiet for a moment. Continue to breathe. If your mind wanders, that's okay. Just bring your attention back to your breath over and over. Now just notice what it feels like to breathe now that you've been paying attention to it for a few moments. Are you breathing any differently? Are you breathing quietly or making sound? Are you breathing deeply or shallow or, or slow or fast? Just Notice without judging. And when you're ready, just bring your attention back to the room and back to me and, and just think about what happened while you did that. Some clients will tell you they felt very relaxed. Maybe an anxious client will say, 
I couldn't stop my busy mind. And that's okay. You need to just normalize that for them because this is a new skill. And just like learning to ride a bike, you didn't learn to ride it the first time you tried it. And maybe they were distracted. Well, what if you can ask them, what did you do to bring your attention back to your breath? And they almost always did bring it back. So they'll tell you how they did it. Or how might you have brought it back if they weren't able to? So you need to be leading the uh, exercise. And I did it for five seconds. You know, I, I, the minimum, do it, you know, it's usually a, a, a five to ten minute process uh, in session. But um, part of the, of the process of teaching mindfulness is to do the skill with them. But just as important is to process it with them and do the reflection piece to teach them to look at what happened for them when they did it. Right. And you said at the beginning of the, um, of the podcast here, you know, when we listen to our patients like this, they become our greatest educators, right? They can, they can give us stuff we might've missed. I, I think I've learned more from my, my clients from about mindfulness than, than anything, because I started my own practice really doing guided imagery and progressive relaxation, which calmed down my pain. But once I started teaching these skills to four-year-olds, to 92-year-olds, to people with schizophrenia who had psychotic thought processes going on, it was a whole door opening for me to see how powerful these skills are and how they can be applied to all of these different situations in all ages. Um. Thank you so much for guiding us through that. I think everybody who just heard that, you know, go back and, and you can use that over and over again to, you know, that's a great little guided mindfulness of breath exercise that you can go back to and use if you, uh, if you need to. As you know, the name of this podcast is Mindfulness Music and Mental Health, right? So the music part is kind of one of my personal passions about the intersection of mindfulness and music. And to me, when I started practicing mindfulness and using it in my practice with my clients, it just seems so obvious to me that music in and of itself can be very mindful and has mindful qualities to it and that it can be used in certain ways as a mindfulness tool as well. So I want to know your take, your expert take on where you find those crossovers between mindfulness and music? Well, I think music can be extremely powerful. And, you know, when we're working with our clients, we're always trying to uh, find the things that, you know, what does our client need from us and how can we help them? And so we need lots of different approaches here. And I have found music to be a very powerful way to connect with certain clients who really have trouble maybe expressing themselves or talking to me, or uh, I don't know how many bands I've heard over the years on YouTube uh, that my teenage clients have shared with me that I never would have even known existed right. <laughs> because they weren't necessarily my favorite types of music or whatever. But to be able to um, ask a client, you know, what, what kind of music do you listen to? And, what do you like about it and how, you know, what happens to you when you are listening to music? So it can be a very, uh, a way to open the door and to make a nice connection with your client. And music can be very soothing. It can be very activating. 
it really, you know, there's all kinds of music. I'm a singer, and I've been singing pretty much all my life, and there are certain pieces of music that I find when I sing them, I'm doing a meditation. Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, there is there is something. I play guitar. I play drums. Actually, I'm sitting here surrounded in my little studio by musical equipment, and there is something so... So like you were saying earlier, you know, let's break the the stigma that, that meditation is sitting cross-legged on the floor in silence trying to get rid of all your thoughts, right? Singing could be a meditation. Playing your guitar could be a meditation. Walking could be a meditation. Um, <clears throat> I was thinking of, um, like you said, flow, right? You didn't say that word flow, but when you sit down at the piano and lose time like that, that has been described as flow or being in the zone. And there have been uh, people like us who have written books who have said that, hey, that's the key to happiness. That's the key to contentment is finding your flow activities. I do a lot of that. And you said you're, um, you come from a cognitive behavioral therapy background, as do I. So behavioral activation, right? It comes down to finding your flow activities and then doing them on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. To get totally ab- so absorbed in the activity or the task that you're doing that you lose all track of time. Um, well, let me ask you uh, really quick, Deb, what's, what is right now your favorite item that you have produced, books, cards, um, and um, how can it help those people who are listening today? I, my mindless skills card deck for kids came out this year, and I am delighted with it. <laughs> it just makes me smile to look at it because each uh, card has a skill on it, and and the illustrator did such an amazing job of um, reflecting the skills in a little graphic illustration on each card, and they're just delightful, and they're selling like hotcakes. I mean, I can't tell you how many, you know, fast they have became a, a bestseller. Basically, the first day. Very, I was going to say, it really quickly became a top seller on Amazon, like right off the bat. they I think they ran out at one point. Yep. Yeah, they sold out the first day, which shouldn't have happened, but, I mean, they sold a lot. And, um, yeah, and the skills on those come from my Mindfulness Skills for Kids and Teens workbook. There's, you know, there's no magic here. I mean, they're the same skills, except I, you know, shortened them up and put them in that. Um, my my ADHD my, um, non-medication treatments and skills workbook, I, I have to share, I'm delighted that it won the Benjamin Franklin Gold Award in Psychology, which was very affirming to me. It's, it's full of non-medication approaches to working with ADHD. And of course, there's a big section in there on mindfulness skills. So it all starts to wrap in together. I'm currently uh, in the finishing editing phases of a book on mindfulness for kids with ADHD, which will be out next year. And my mindfulness for teens with ADHD came out this year and it became a bestseller right away as well. So lots of, and and if you go to my website at thebrainlady.com, make sure you put the in front of it, thebrainlady.com, look at the products. I have a a couple of CDs, one for kids, one for adults with a, a number of mindfulness skills on them. A lot of therapists around the world are using them with their clients. There's a CD version and as well as an MP3 version of most of them. Um, also, a, a three, intense, a three-hour uh, online tele, 
seminar on mindfulness, the basics and beyond, where I go through a lot of these skills, um, as well as the transforming stress training, which, of course, uses a lot of mindfulness skills. So there's a lot of different um, things. And, and, of course, my website has a lot of articles and stuff. I know a lot of therapists give me feedback that they turn them out and use them with their clients. So sign up for my newsletter. You'll, I'm doing a, a telesummit for preschool mindfulness. Oh, yeah, yeah. I saw that on Facebook. I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to check that out. Yeah, coming up. And then um, I've been invited to speak at the Mindful Minds in Education Conference in New York City in April. I will be speaking about mindfulness for teens with ADHD at that workshop, but I'm just thrilled and excited to go and hear all the other presentations. <laughs> right. I mean, when once you start doing this stuff, you just can't really get enough of it. You just want to learn about it, hear about it, talk to other people about it, which is why I started this podcast and I invite amazing people like you on so that it benefits everybody, you know? Um, so Deborah, thank you so much for joining me today. I think this was great. I think people are going to get a lot out of this. Um, I'm going to have you back pretty soon. Thank you so much, Deborah, for joining us. Um, I hope to have you on again soon. Um, uh, so much gratitude coming from my direction towards yours um, for doing this with me. No, you're very welcome. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for spending some time with the Music Mindfulness and Mental Health Podcast. Hope you can join us again soon. 